Hello, everyone, and we are back with another MTG Goldfish podcast, episode 37. The crew is here. What's up, Richard? How's it hey going? Hey, guys. What's up? Not much. Seth, as always, is here. What's up, Seth? <laughs> no, just uh, losing at fantasy football like usual. <laughs> okay, so yeah, we're good. We're, we have, uh, before I share the, the, the show notes, um, Seth is the only 0-3 in our fantasy football league. And uh, hopefully you can turn it around. Uh, but, That'd be nice. <laughs> yeah. uh, we're we're going to remain optimistic for you, dude. Uh, but <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's looking rough for you. So on to the show. We are going to talk about pre-release. We have ban and restricted announcement. We have price movement uh, and some fish mail. We also have an uh, a mo- uh, MTGO announcement that uh, Seth and... Richard are going to talk about. So um, let's just get to it. Let's let's talk about the pre-release first, uh, since that's kind of what happened most recently over the weekend. Everyone's really hyped up about it. Uh, so I will before I share my uh, pre-release thoughts. What what about you two? Did you end up making it? So we know you did, Richard. Yeah, I went to the pre-release. Did you go, yeah. Seth? I I kept my streak alive of missing the last three pre-releases. Oh, man. Uh, yes, I almost did. It was close this time, but in the end, it didn't happen. Rough. All right, so Richard, wh- what do you think? Uh, I liked it. I actually really like the don't choose a clan color yeah. thing. You know, I don't have to be, I don't have to look like, oh, you know, what's the most expensive card? Let me choose that color. Or, you know, what's, what, what has the strongest commons? Let me choose that color, right? I get to just go in, sit down. The tournament starts immediately because they can just pass out the product without sorting people and whatnot. And the uh, the new deck box is actually pretty cool. Uh, you can actually fit your deck in that deck box, and it's a useful piece of cardboard as opposed to the old one where your cards just spilled all over the place and it's totally useless. Um, so I actually really like the new uh, pre-release format going forward, so I hope they keep that up. Uh, in terms of the format, I thought it was incredibly awkward. There are a lot of mechanics that require synergy, and if your pool does not have any synergy, it's very weird. Like, I had all these converged cards, which I couldn't use. I had all these Aldrazi processors with no ingest. Uh, so my pool was pretty jank. I was playing, like, allies with Aldrazi processors with no ingest. And uh, I was uh, preying on the new players there to get my wins with the uh, <laughs> UW Flyers. Uh, but I did open a Kiora. I, I opened a Foil Bowl Island. Uh, oh. so, so I opened some goodies. Uh, so it, it was a fun time. Um, but it was a strange format. It wasn't Battle Cruiser like uh, It felt really awkward. Like, people would just play, like, eight mana Eldrazi or something, and you just sit there and you smite the monster sit for four mana and laugh. So it felt a little weird. It, it, I was really expecting Battlecruiser magic, but it, it was actually a decently paced format. Uh, you still need to curve. Uh, you can't just sit there and hold ten drops and hope you get there. You actually need to build a deck that can ramp to do that. So I thought, I think a lot of people got off guard because I just played a one mana two one, a two mana three one, and just went to town on people when they sat there with, you know, nothing. So, pretty interesting. Uh, we'll, we'll see how it goes when it, uh, you know, becomes more widely available and people get a better understanding of the formats. Yeah. So I tweeted a picture of my pool 
Uh, obviously, I only really highlighted the rares, but overall my pool was okay. I ended up going Jund, and just an aside, I haven't really done a pre-release since Innistrad, so it was, it's been a long time. Uh, I don't know how the format's going to end up when it starts going to draft. I assume it's going to be a lot different because, like you said, Richard, sometimes in Sealed, for sure, like I opened it up, and it's kind of like I had some... <laughs> These processors, but, like, no ingest stuff, and I'm like, I re- don't have any ingest cards that are even good. And then I had a lot of these uh, black vampires that had something to do, like, all those black vampires that's, if you gain life, this happens, but I had no life gain cards. So I'm like, what the hell is going on? I have, like, really nothing going on. So I ended up put, just playing, like, Jund stuff, just because, like, I kind of opened the uh, the Gouldraz Overseer and um, the Hada, uh, Hadron Grinder, Foda, whatever that card's called. Uh, so it, I ended up doing well. I went 3-1 and one and then opened up a couple mediocre prize packs. Uh, I did like the uh, just the here's your box with you know packs in it and a pre-release card. Here you go, open it up. That seems a lot easier just logistically. But I unfortunately had to play Battlecruiser Magic because <laughs> my only really bomb was Ulamog. And uh, when I did play him, uh, I won. And when I didn't play him, I, you know, it was a struggle. Did you so, actually manage to cast him like multiple no, I, times? Yeah. Or? Uh, it wasn't hard getting to 10 mana uh, because I, ju- I just kind of stalled a lot with the, like, the kind of Eldrazi's that. Uh, spawn just the spawn tokens, so that just kind of gave me enough time to uh, either block or chump block or just use them as lotus petals to get out of Ulamog. So, uh, but other than that, I didn't always win with Ulamog. The Gouldraz uh, Overseer was just kind of good with uh, as just like a flying buff your team because I did drop like a swamp a few times with that, so it got really interesting with that. But um, yeah, I liked it. <sighs> What are your thoughts on uh, Awaken, the one mechanic that consistently actually works without synergy? I like it in limited. I don't think it'll be as good in constructed. I just, I just, I don't know. I, I don't think playing like seven mana for you know a three three or four four is just that appealing. I mean, again, in limited it's good because you always have you know just a body. And that that ends up being beneficial to you for whether you need another attacker or you need just someone to block. So that's fine. But overall, oh. I just I, I thought it was like kind of clunky. Really, Awaken's so, gonna oh, go Awaken's ahead, gonna be awesome. Awaken's gonna be awesome and constructed. That's I don't know. My take is the complete opposite. Like, because I think you're looking at it wrong. You're looking at it as you're paying seven mana for a three three. I'm looking at it as we already pay three mana for our counter spells and three manas for our heroes downfalls. When we have the option to top deck that and get a creature with it in top deck wars in the late game, that's a really broken two for one that will probably win you a game. Right. But I I can understand the counter. I can understand the counter. The the problem is, is all the good awaken cards are a sorcery. So I don't really feel too awesome about, uh, spending seven to kill a creature and get a four four, and the creature's tapped. So really, you're paying eight for 
kill a creature and maybe get the 4-4 that can kill something, like a Planeswalker or something like that, because it really isn't 7, because then what are you going to do with a 4-4 tap creature? And then, it, I don't know, in some of the in some of the decks, like, I've been playtesting, like, let's say, like, Esper, Blue-Black Control, uh, it feels a little awkward to uh, ruin his path something and then have a Languish in your hand. So, yeah, I, I mean, I, I just think that they didn't overcost these cards. I was, with some of the mechanics from Battle for Zendikar, they seem like they added a mana to because they have Devoid or something on it. Um, but with Awaken, they didn't do that. Like, we're paying the same as we would pay for a normal cancel for the counterspell, the same as we would pay for a Hero's Downfall, the same as we would pay for a Wrath, which are all five mana now. So this is just pure upside. Like, you can choose destroy all creatures, or if you randomly have whatever it is, eight mana, destroy all creatures and get a creature, why wouldn't you choose the one with the upside over, you know what I'm saying? It's just, like, pure upside. Yeah, I I understand. And at that point, like, yeah, you can make the the argument, but again, it's really tack on an extra mana from that Awaken because the the land's going to be tapped. Anyways, so. like I agree with Seth because there's no better alternative. It's not like there's a four mana wrath you could play. Right. It's like you play this five mana wrath because and it you happens have to. to have awaken, right? And like there's nothing else you can play instead of that. Um, but from jamming a lot of Abzan, like you know, there are many times where you cast like a Den Protector to grab another Den Protector, you know, to flip, and then you flip that. That's like ten mana, right? And when you're doing stuff like that. That's when Awaken is very powerful, right? You ground them out, and you have all this mana, and you have no cards, and you guys are just trying to get incremental advantage. Awakening a land is very powerful. So I think we're going to see a lot of play in Standard uh, with Awaken. Like, I don't think it's going to be overpowered, um, but I think it is just like a little something extra for you to sink your mana in in the late game where you're all out of cards and you all uh, have land sitting on the battlefield and nothing is going on. Um, and having said that, the, the same can be said of Limited. A lot of my matches came down to dueling lands. Um, you know, we had like 7-7 seven, yeah. seven lands versus 5-5 five, five lands. You know, you like double or triple awaken the same land. Uh, so in that sense, it was pretty good. Uh, the, the thing I didn't expect from Awaken is getting blown out from awakening my stuff. Um, so there's the, the one mana instance that uh, they tap a creature, like a, a half frost breath or a bounce. And you can awaken for five. So I'm like, five mana, three, three, bounce. That's like a mist raven, right? That's like pretty good. Uh, but unfortunately, my opponent just then kills my land and I mana screw the entire game. So <laughs> that, that's one aspect that awaken uh, is questionable because there's a lot of removal in the set and your lands will get removed when you awaken. Yeah. So if you're trying to ramp into some battle cruiser magic, awakening your lands may not be the smartest thing. Yeah, and... and- I do agree with everything you said, and again, it's probably, I mean, it, it's most likely going to be seen in playing constructed because, like you said, Richard, it's it's all we have access to. I mean, we're it's not like we have a better option, so you might as well just play the Awakened card because the Awakened cost. But, I mean, that again, that's just kind of tailored to the slower, more grindy decks. Like, you're not going to see, like, Abzan Aggro, like, hold out for a seven mana you know, Awaken card just, I mean, it's an added bonus, but a lot of the times Awaken's not really going to be something that uh, is going to work or you're you're going to see in a game. Yeah, uh, it's, so. it's definitely for the mid-rangey and 
control uh, control decks and yeah. abs and aggro is also a mid-range deck ironically but, yeah at this point yeah but yeah like yeah you, you need to actually have seven lands in play as mono red you don't want seven lands so right exactly it would have been interesting to see like a weird lightning bolt with awaken one you make like a one one out of your land that for like three mana for the for the red decks but uh we, we only get i think the cheapest awaken is five so yeah. at five is uh, where you start awakening stuff. Yeah. Uh, overall, though, I for not having played a pre-release in a while, obviously it was it was cool to play. I have another angle to come at it with uh, in just a moment, but um, I have to say it was fun to want to get a land drop. If that really makes sense, like <laughs> your a land drop was almost as good as like playing a spell in this format, and that was kind of interesting a new interesting dynamic because uh like a, a gruel draz my the ghoul draz like overseer i was praying that it was like a land drop to to punch in the extra few damage that i needed especially if it was a swamp but uh it was just it was a nice addition to that like that that dynamic for playing in limited so that was fun did um, you mulligan I did mulligan, and I did remember to scry. You scryed so, one. Did it feel good? <laughs> it, it felt better than not scrying. <laughs> so that's really my, my, my take on it. I don't know. I've been playing the game a long time. For me, it was just like a, a, a bonus. Like, it was just a perk to do. Like, I wasn't like, oh, yeah, I get to scry now. Like, super pumped. It, it was just a good added bonus, and I didn't feel like I got totally screwed that I had to mulligan. Uh, so it's a ste- definitely a step in the right direction. Yeah, I think it'll be good. I was playing yeah. the FNM before the pre-release, and uh, I mulled the five in in two games, and in both of those games, I later kept my my six la- uh, my six card hand if I had the scry one. Yeah. But the rule was not in effect yet, so I I just mulled the five and died. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so now, Richard, I don't know how big your pre-release was. So again, this is just a small sample size for me. I wanted to come at this a little uh, from a, from another angle, and this is something that we talked about early on when we first knew about the expeditions. Um, and and keep in mind, I preface this by saying uh, I I am staying optimistic about the set. I do like the set overall. I don't think I think it's kind of getting too much of a bad rap uh, across the board uh, for no real good reason, other than the fact that it has expeditions in them, which kind of makes sense. And kind of uh, an issue that I originally thought would happen, uh, but now that like we have the cards in our hands and, and people are opening them and we have pre-release, it's kind of like manifesting itself. So again, this is just a small sample size. There was 25 people at the pre-release. Not a huge pre-release by any stretch of the means, but uh, I have to say I, I've been going to pre-releases uh, for a, a long time. I played the game a long time. I haven't gone to them recently. But I've been to a good amount of them, them, and it just was a really somber pre-release, and uh, consequently, no one opened an expedition. So I don't know if that the two are mutually exclusive, but I kind of have a feeling they are. So um, I think, you know, the, the the issue that I originally had with the set was the expeditions are going to deflate. Uh, a lot of the the cards in the set, not just financially, but just like an overall excitement of the set because no one opened an expedition. And I feel like if no one really opened an expedition, there 
expectations are not going to be met. Like, I didn't feel – like, I opened to Ulamog, and that's not by any means bad. Like, I did okay for myself from, you know, opening pack standpoint in my pre-release. But, again, it wasn't an expedition. Like, so I don't know. Is, is that something you found in your pre-release? Like, uh... do you feel more, like, disappointed or – would you have felt more uh, rewarded by opening up an expedition? I felt the opposite. Uh, I usually okay. never crack packs. I always get store credit. And yeah. even when I get packs, I don't crack them. I just, like, save them for draft or sealed or something. Uh, but I was cracking packs, right? Because uh, even though I opened nothing in my packs, getting that full art land felt good. Like, as, yeah. as, as dumb as that is, you know, that's like a 30-cent a, a card or something. It just felt sweet. It felt like every pack had something you could use, right? So I actually felt the opposite. It was fun to crack packs because you had the chance of, you know, getting an expedition, uh, but, you know, most likely you weren't. But you were guaranteed a full art land, which at this point uh, most people could still use. They're not overrunning with lands yet. And, uh, you know, you get you can pick up some of the sweet Eldrazi rares. So I actually felt it was more worthwhile to crack packs and I actually felt like I won every single time. And I actually got a foil island, too, so I actually did win. Um, but in terms of the expeditions, I don't know how many people at the pre-release, like 120, 150 or something. There was, like, a ton of people. Uh, and there were quite a few expeditions cracked. Uh, I didn't get an exact count or ratio, but I did see several of them, and I don't really like them. I don't like what, how they look. Um, the foiling is different like the whole card is foil and they print it on top of it as opposed to like a card like snapcaster mage where like his eyepiece is foily but everything else is not as foily you know they where they highlight parts of the art whereas this is just like printing a card on a foil so i, I felt they didn't look as good as they they could um but uh people were going crazy over them they're, they're still a hot commodity people were looking for scalding tarns and flooded strands and stuff and uh you know, people did crack. There, there was a Scalding Tarn cracked. There was a, a Flooded Strand cracked by a guy who was playing a five-color deck, so it actually gave him an advantage to have a fetch land <laughs> in his deck. He proceeded to go 3-0. You know. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I, I felt the mood was overall pretty good. I, I, didn't, I didn't get that kind of downer mood. People didn't seem disappointed. They seemed happy with their full art lands. All right. Yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe it's not, like, as widespread, but I, I definitely felt like, you know, as someone, well, I guess as people don't open them, you know, they try it. Yeah, I guess it's exciting to open packs, and I feel like for this set, it's beneficial to open packs, so people are going to keep opening more packs for that kind of Willy Wonka ticket, so I, I don't know. I felt I did feel like it still overshadowed uh, opening up, like, prime cards in the set like like a ulamog or something i still feel yeah. it's gonna have that effect going forward like i wouldn't have felt as excited opening up an ulamog if i opened up an expedition that, that's know? true i wasn't you know i was excited to open the kiora but it's not the same as opening a a chase planeswalker in a set where that's actually the most expensive card in this set right. expeditions are the most expensive yeah it's kind of like opening a karn or an elish norn or something uh but you didn't open a foil goyf Right, you're like, yeah, it's a good card, right. but there, there's something out there that's better, right? The the grass is always greener, but yeah, but at that, but at that end, like you don't obviously opening up the foil goyf is something that you would want to happen when opening up a modern masters two box, but that's not like 
you're expecting to open it. You know, you don't go in like, oh, like, you know, foil goy for bust. Like, there's plenty of other cards that you would open. Now, maybe it's just a reprint set. Maybe it's like a bad comparison. But, you know, for this, it's like I'm going in expecting I really want the Expeditions and opening up anything else is kind of like a huge letdown. Like, yeah. if you open up a Goyf in a Modern Masters 2, that's still pretty good. Like, Ellis Norn is good. Like, you're not totally bummed that you didn't open the foil Goyf, you know? I don't know. It's just maybe it's not like a huge widespread issue, but I, I think it is something that is going to be a con- conflicting thing like going forward with this set. Like I just feel like just going back to what I was saying about my uh, original uh, skepticism with the expeditions is kind of overshadowing the set when the set's not really terrible, but again, when you have expeditions in them, it kind of just highlights that it's being overshadowed. I don't know. What do you think, Seth? Yeah, I mean, I was thinking back, and I remember a pre-release where I opened, it was back during Scar's Block at some point, but I opened it, Elspeth, Terrell, and Avenger Planeswalker, which is super awesome. Like, I was so excited. Two Planeswalkers, like, how cool is that? But I was thinking about it, and if I knew that Expeditions were out there, would I have been as excited? Like, just from hearing you talk now, you opened up Ulamog, which is like the Chase Mythic in the set, or at least one of them, and you were kind of meh about it. You're like, well, yeah, well, I got a Ulamog, and I guess that was cool, but I really wanted an Expedition. So I think it really, it depends. I think it will come down to a few things. For one thing, just reading the Reddit thread, there's a huge variance in pre-releases and how many Expeditions they that were opened. Like, you said none yeah. were open. Richard had a lot opened. The same story was all through the Reddit threads. We opened, we had 100 people, and we opened 10 expeditions, way above the expected odds. Other pre-releases had 100 people and opened one or zero. So I think if you're in a room where no one, not even you, but the people around you and the whole group, like, atmosphere, if no one opens the expedition, I could see the mood being somber. Like, you're not even able to get excited for someone else or look at the cool, flashy new card. But if you're at one... But if your neighbor opens one or a bunch of people sitting around the table as you opens one, you'll probably get brought into their excitement like at Richard's pre-release where several were open. So I think it's really just the variance of uh, of where they show up that plays into it. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I mean, and that, and that's to be expected, right? When you have something like as Chase as those that are obviously going to command a, a, a large price tag, you know, should you feel good about opening up other cards? Yes, but I still think there's going to be, and that, this is not me griping about not opening Expedition. I mean, obviously it's, they're rare, like it's not going to happen to everyone, and I'm totally okay with that. But I just feel like it's kind of stealing the thunder of the set itself, right? Ah, you what? guys are too financy. <laughs> I opened <laughs> Desolation Twin, and I'm like, oh my god, this card is so sweet. And I was happy. <laughs> it's a $1 card. <laughs> what? Do you guys do you guys think it would have been better if they hadn't made such a big deal about the expeditions and hyped them so much? If they did it like the hidden treasures or priceless treasures where people just showed up to their pre-releases and all of a sudden they're like, oh my God, I have a Black Lotus in my pack, instead of hyping it up for a month beforehand so everyone's going there with this expectation and hope that they'll open one. Would it have been better as a surprise? Maybe that or maybe just adding the, the the frequency of opening them, right? Like maybe just, 
you know, of course, you know, they could say like, oh, it's they can hint at, oh, it's a little less, a little more frequent than a foil mythic rare because there's 25 of them. You're going to get a little bit more. But, you know, maybe just adding a little bit of frequency to them just so like more of them are open. So it's not like totally to the disparity of like expedition or bust. If there's more of them out there, you're not going to feel as bad because, all right, yeah, some of the expeditions are going to be chase because they're fetch lands, they're blue fetch lands, they're still like look cool, they're still, you know, uh, a chase card, but it's not going to be as bad because there's more of them opened. I, I don't know, maybe something along those lines, but yeah, maybe not hyping them up for a month and then like you get to the pre-release and it's basically expedition or bust. So, I don't know. I don't really know the solution, to be honest. All I know is that it, we're going to get at them next set, so... I don't know, like, does Oath of the Gatewatch, uh, such a good set that there's equal hype for both the set and the Expeditions? I, I don't know. Will the Expeditions be so good this time around because we don't even know what the Expeditions next time? How can you get excited for a set when the Expedition is a Caracas or a Wasteland or something like that? You're not going to give a, a shit about what the Mythic is. You want the Expedition Caracas. Like, it, it, it's just going to um, happen. It's not like... That's it's especially funny because it's strongly hinted at that we'll be getting Emrakul in the following set, which is one of the most iconic cards that's been printed in the last five or ten years. So we, we could legitimately have people opening new Emrakul and being disappointed, which is just I don't know if that's how you want your pre-release to be. You want people to be thrilled that they opened an Emrakul. Exactly. Yeah. Not to be like, oh, well, yeah, that's pretty cool, but I wish I had gotten this super rare land. Yeah, and that's and that's originally what I had a gripe about in in adding these expeditions. I mean, I it is cool. Like I I understand like that they should do it. I guess is like I don't know a promotional thing to sell packs and put the put the emphasis on opening product rather than buying just singles and saying you know I'm not gonna buy a case of this. You know, forget it. Like there's it's not worth it. But I don't know. Then you're you're always gonna have that disparity. I feel because yeah, you're right. People are gonna open Emrakul. I mean, I opened the Ulamog. You you just mentioned like it it still is a Chase Mythic in the set. But I mean, what I, you can't get excited for that when you have a two hundred fifty dollar uh, foil like flooded strand in just around the corner like as as a added bonus of opening these packs. I don't know. It, it's just uh that's just my rant yeah, on it. We, I don't know. We get it. We get it, Chaz. You're upset because you didn't open an expedition. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You're right. So that, I guess, concludes our pre-release <laughs> uh, stories about Battle for Zendikar. Um, just the from from the buzz about it being becoming, you know, it's it's going to be standard legal here very soon. Uh, basically by the time this podcast is published in the, the, the following days, I am excited about its implications in standard though. And uh, there's a lot more hype about bring to light. So I'm assuming you're really, you're really happy about that stuff. So <laughs> yeah, it's going to be sweet. I'm, I'm excited for bring to light. Yeah. And a lot of other cards too. It's going to be very interesting. The first few weeks as people are uh, figuring stuff out. So so, 
ban-restricted announcement happened, and uh, you should highlight them, Richard, because apparently Seth daydreams during our podcast <laughs> and uh, asks uh, silly questions like, uh, well, you, we'll... we'll We'll have them here soon. So go ahead, Richard. Yeah, this was funny because it, it really came out of left field. No one really expected anything to happen <laughs> at the VNR because uh, the next Pro Tour is standard. Um, but in Legacy, Dig Through Time is banned. Black Vice is unbanned. Uh, so people have been calling for Dig Through Time bans, myself included, for a long time. And it finally happened. Yay. Seth is sad. Uh, in Vintage, <laughs> uh, Workshops. Got got a nerf here. Chalice of the Void restricted. Dig through time restricted. Thirst for knowledge unrestricted. Uh, so those are the changes to legacy and vintage. So just right off the bat, you're our legacy guy. Uh, what what's going on here? Uh, dig through time was too oppressive. Okay, so first off, there there are threads where people are saying, well, why why ban dig through time but not brainstorm? Dig Through Time is more powerful than Brainstorm. Like, no, no. Brainstorm is still really good. It's just been grandfathered in. You can't ban it because it's one of the pillars of the format, right? But you can ban this new blue card, right? So they got rid of Dig Through Time because of that. Um, but it, it has the same problems as Treasure Cruise. Uh, it makes Discard useless. It's like Hymnotorak kind of sucks if it's Hymnotorak and then give your opponent two Lotus Petals. And that's what it was. Uh, with Dig Through Time. Uh, Treasure Cruise was even worse because Treasure Cruise costs one less and it, uh, they got an extra card. Um, but they, they kind of do the same thing where they allow decks to reload really quickly. And uh, we saw the metagame shift because of this. Omnitel uh, became a deck or became a tier one deck. And you see a lot of uh, Pyromancer decks where they just sit around and abuse uh, Dig Through Time. So now that Dig Through Time is gone, we should see... Uh, the black decks come back. Uh, Liliana suddenly gets a lot better. Uh, Hymnatorak gets a lot better. Uh, Bob comes along with those cards. We should see that. We should see uh, Shardless builds come back. Uh, so you'll see the format kind of go back to the pre-cons era. Uh, and it'll be a lot more diverse. Except now you, you get the ability to play Gurmog Angler, Tastiger, and I don't know what else, like Vinwing Mare. Um, but the... The the types of decks will be a lot different now. The the metagame will shift because Dig Through Time is gone, and the decks that are good uh, will go away because they kind of leaned heavily on Dig Through Time. Yeah, I, I'm sure you don't always daydream through the <laughs> through the podcast. <laughs> I'm just messing with you. But I go, go ahead. ahead. Uh, no, no, no. Well, you, I'm I want your, all right. Yeah. All right, I I listen and I get it. I just. <laughs> I think that Legacy is a format of overpowered blue spells. So is Dig Through Time really that egregious in a format where you have Force of Will and Brainstorm and Counterspell and Ponder and Preordain? Like, is Dig Through Time really pushing these decks over the top? Every deck, or like a huge percentage of the decks, are still going to be blue decks because you get all those other cards. Delver, one of the big archetypes focused on blue cards, doesn't even play Dig Through Time typically. Uh, so I, I don't know. Yes, I guess you weaken certain combo decks, but I don't, I don't know if this is like that necessary from my perspective. Like looking at seven is a big deal. So the reason why Treasure Cruise was overpowered was because a, a deck like Delver, giving them three cards 
like just gives them the game, right? Like three more bolts, yeah, you're gonna die. Whereas dig through time lets you reload in the mid to late game and basically grab the best card in your deck, right? Like looking through seven and grabbing two uh, is very powerful and it invalidates a lot of decks, right? Like if you're in a top deck war and someone draws a dig through time, it's over, right? So it it removes the decks that kind of like grind down their opponents, out attrition them, and then kill them. Because before you can kill them, they just dig through time and they're back in the game, right? And since they're blue, you know, they are they're, they already have a good uh, kind of top deck war because of Brainstorm and Fetch Lands. They can throw away the, the bad cards. So this just like puts it over the top, right? And this so, also put Omnitel over the top as well. I And those are fair points. So... I guess I guess I can see it. I think partly I really like casting Dig Through Time and Treasure Cruise for that matter. And it's sad to me that in six months' time they will rotate and we will just never be able to play these cards anywhere. Like, that's one of the things that's sweet about Legacy is when these really cool cards are printed, and modern to some extent too, like, you still have a place to play them after they leave Standard. And I just love casting those cards. And it's it's kind of sad to think that in only a few months... I'll never be able to play them again. EDH, uh, my so that EDH. <laughs> the last oh, but, but let me let me give you a couple of quick up and downs then. With this banning, Delver, does Delver get better or worse, do you think, because of this? Or doesn't it matter? Uh, well, so uh, four-color Delver is going away. So you're probably going to see the return of uh, Rug Delver and Bug Delver, which don't really play Dig Through Time. But the Delver decks that do play Dig Through Time will transform back into those variants. Okay. And do- and doesn't this mean Jace becomes a little better now? Uh, yeah. So so he- here's the comment, right? Oh, I just I just built a, a Legacy Miracles deck with Dig Through Time banned. What should I put in my deck? And the answer is Jace, right? Dig Through Time pushed Jace <laughs> out of Miracles. So that tells you the power level of this card, right? Um, but yeah, so Miracles actually gets a lot better because uh, the decks that perform well against it kind of get weakened, and whereas they can just replace their dig through times with Jace's and counter spells, and they're they're still a good deck. Yeah. So Jace and, and, Jace and Bob, I think, are are kind of the winners here. You'll you'll see a lot more of them because dig through time is going right, and and I think it kind of dethrones like Miracles will still be great, but since dig through time has been around. Uh, it's kind of been the deck of Legacy. I mean, it's been, it's had such a huge surge in its meta percentage uh, since like Dig Through Time has been around that I think it's been kind of time to cut that back a little bit. I mean, yeah, I mean Miracles has always been good, um, but like I think the the best decks in in Legacy right now are probably uh, the four color Delver decks and probably Omnitel for combo decks. Uh, those those decks get the axe. So those decks will become tier two again. Uh, Miracles is kind of sitting out around there, and it'll it'll sit, you know, in the top three decks, and it'll it'll remain there. It's always a good uh, fair deck, so it, it's going to continue to stand there, and you know, it, it has all the tools necessary to take care of anything. Uh, what's interesting is you'll see like Death and Taxes come back, uh, right. which is a a deck that preys on Miracles, and lands as well. Um, so these decks were pushed out of the format because of the, the other two decks. So these decks come back in the format 
and then miracles will then get pushed down, not because it's any worse, but because the decks that are good against it now have better matchups against the rest of the field. So, yeah, and so Legacy is actually pretty interesting in that regard, right? Because one combo deck is now gone, it opens a door for all these other decks to now come play, and then it changes the metagame completely. Right. I, I yeah, I get that. The only comment I was gonna make was like, with with miracles, like they can't just. It was it was a good deck already. It was kind of just. It was so hard to beat the deck in an attrition war because as soon as the game goes long enough, they just restock with Dig Through Time. And it's like, yeah. it, it was almost to the point where you really couldn't do anything about it. And once that happens, it's like, it's over, right? I, I, it's so hard to come back from that because that deck is kind of already good that Dig Through Time was kind of just pushing the envelope on that deck. Because they, they were the deck that utilized Dig Through Time the most, right? Other than like Omnitel. Omnitel. I think Omnitel was the biggest. Like Omnitel yeah. made their combo one card less. Like if your combo piece is a dig through time, then I think that's a pretty good combo piece, right? Like right. you just you just drop an omniscience down, and then you dig through time, and you're probably gonna find the rest of your combo, right? And if you whiff, you probably drew two more cantrips to get like four more shots at getting your combo, right? So they basically. Uh, got to replace uh, Enter the Infinite, like a clunky card that does nothing on its own, with Dig Through Time, right? So now that that's gone, they get this clunky combo piece back, which, you know, if you manage to remove the Omniscience, there's no way they're ever going to cast and Enter the Infinite, right? So yeah. I think Omnitel is probably the biggest loser uh, from this. Yeah. What were you going to say, Seth? Oh, no, I was just going to say, I don't think that, I mean, Miracle still has a pretty amazing late game, even without Dig Through Time. So I don't think most decks are still going to outgrind Miracles if the game goes long. Like, the countertop lock in Jace is still probably, like, unless you're up against an Emrakul or something like that that's just unbeatable, it's still probably the best late game deck in the format, right? Well, it is. I, I think just, like, it, it made it almost, it made it, like, impossible to to even go to well, that mid to late game, just because they always fell back on Dig Through Time. 12 posts is the ultimate late game deck. <laughs> yeah. The decks that beat Miracles are the ultimate late game deck. Right, and we were and we were off cast, Richard. Like, when, when stuff like this happens in Legacy, uh, when we were discussing, discussing the show notes, uh, you basically just said, like, Legacy just rewinds, like, to, like, one year ago. Like, before, like, two years ago before Dig Through Time, and there we are again. Yeah, but... Uh... But now it's slightly different because we have the new cards, we have Tasha, yeah. we have Gurmog Angler, which, ironically, Tasker is not that good in in Legacy. <laughs> He's gonna get a lot worse with the with the coming back of Death and Taxes because he is legendary. He gets bounced by Krakus. Gurmog Angler is just a plain old zombie fish sticks to the board. <laughs> but, yeah, uh, yeah, we're just gonna go back and then you'll you know well some new tech from this era will probably be reincorporated and that's how the the format evolves, um, but uh, pretty much I think the archetypes we'll see will probably be the, the archetypes we saw a year ago or whenever cons uh, before cons was released. Yeah, Richard, agree. Does that does that mean that Shardless Bug will be playable again? Because I yes. love Shardless Bug. Yeah, yes. I love Shardless Bug too. Yeah, Shardless Bug is like a big thing. Like I noticed Bob was like thirty five bucks. <laughs> it's because Bob is getting played nowhere, um, and part of the reason is you can't cast him right now in Legacy. Uh, so right, Judd yeah. is coming back, uh, Shardless is coming back, just bug decks in general, 
Liliana, him, uh, got big upgrades here. Bob comes along with those cards. Uh, and then the death and taxes and lands, and those decks get to come back because Sneak and Show will come back, right? The best show and tell deck is now Sneak and Show. It's no longer Omnitel. And uh, Containment Priest and Caracas and stuff like that deal with that deck really nicely. So uh, we should see a, a big shift in the metagame. What, uh, what about Black Vice? Relevant? My god. <laughs> <laughs> I tried really hard to figure out like how you could play this or why it was even banned. And I got nothing. Like, yeah. I, I can't so, figure out why you'd ever want to play this card. Yeah, before the cast, we tried to figure out, just so we stay pertinent, this was on the ban list for, like, a long time in Legacy. Uh, maybe even, I think it came out as, like, already on the ban list, much like Modern started with a ban list in Legacy. So it, it's interesting that it comes back. I don't know, like, where this ends up. Probably nowhere. Uh, just like World Gorger Dragon, yeah. so people yeah. buying this out, like I don't know why. <laughs> like it's, it doesn't even do that much damage, right? And people empty their hands really fast in Legacy. Yeah. So you know, and this is like a dead top deck. So I don't see the point of this. Um, you know, people are trying to be cute. They're like, well, what if I turn one Dark Ritual Black Vice? You sinkhole you. Right, I'm like, okay, <laughs> that's a lot of work to deal three damage. Like, you want to cast lightning bolt? Right, <laughs> like, you know, just turn one Delver. Yeah, <laughs> wasteland hold stifle or daze. Like, that seems good too, right? So yeah, exactly. This, this is like a Delver, except it can't be removed by creature removal, which has its merits, right? But it's also a dead top deck, and you need to build your deck around it. Like, do you really want to play? I don't know, Winter Orb, Howling Mine. You know, crap like that, right? And if you already locked them down, did you really need a black vice to finish them off, right? If, if you've got them prisoned out, like, do you really need a black vice, right? So, I don't know. I, I don't think this card is the real deal, but uh, I'm sure people will start brewing with it. And my guess is mono black or some artifact deck. If uh, if a tier three or two deck shows up with this thing, those will probably be the archetypes. All right, interesting enough. Um, so that moves us on to price movement. So, Seth, let's tackle that. All right, what are we doing this week? Are we doing uh, BFC again? or Yeah, let's do BFC. All right, quick, quick note about standard before hitting BFC. Jace is now a $50 card. Forty nine ninety yeah. five after increasing again this week. So, yeah, uh, when what was the last fifty dollar in print standard card? Do you guys did voice was voice fifty at one point? Do you I guys don't remember? Even think voice got that high. So we're like creeping into Jace the Mind Sculptor territory. Is that really <laughs> where we're at with this as far as price? Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. That can't as, be. No, no. There's got to be some other card. No. Uh, no voice. Voice. Yeah, voice has been the highest. To... Voice peaked voice at is... like forty four dollars or something. I think voice was fifty three dollars uh, as of uh, uh, back in twenty thirteen. Oh right, right. Uh, yeah, around right before M fourteen. Yeah. Around the Modern Masters release, it was fifty yeah, so. five bucks. 
Yep, so this this happens every couple of years then, I guess. But still, it's pretty notable that it's $50, why it's in print and standard. Like, you can go buy as many Origins boxes as you want right now, and Jace is still holding 50 bucks. Anyway, yeah, Battle, for crazy. Zend- Battle for Zendikar. Uh, Gideon is somehow a $40 card, increasing 40% this week. <laughs> Dr- Drana, 15 bucks, up 26%. My favorite, Bring Delight, up uh, 56% to 770. Shambling Vents, Radiant Flames, Ruinous Path, Prairie Stream, Smoldering Marsh, From Beyond, and Mountain 267, up 378%. <laughs> and it's the old mountain, too. What's, what is, what's people's problem? <laughs> I, I, I it's don't the know. Only origi- it's the only original art. Like, <laughs> don't you want the new? I mean, come on, Noah Bradley. Let's go. So uh, then... We also have a list of losers. It's a little different than what's on the site because that's dominated by full art lands. So the losers this week, uh, Sire of Stagnation, Obnixilis, Kiora, Part the Water Veil, Green Warden, Akum Stonewalker, Amiria Shepherd, and a whole bunch of full art lands. Yeah. And you got them all right. Another, hey. another good week under your belt. Two for two. <laughs> <laughs> um. So let's let's break this down a little bit. Um, so the Gideon, this is kind of like what we saw with Cons of Tarkir with uh, Sarkhan, the Dragon Speaker, right? Um, a lot of this. Uh, so uh, let me let me backtrack before I I get into this uh, analysis. Um, this is the same kind of time period that uh, I was kind of referring to. That there's going to be this. Uh, stretch of a couple weeks where you're what, what we're looking at right now cards are going to increase um, the the full supply of the set is not going to be in full effect uh, people opening this and uh, from what I'm hearing from a few vendors is there's a little bit of a constraint on the initial allotment of product I don't know if that's kind of widespread over the nation but it is happening to a degree so once that's like kind of out of the way and we're in a kind of regular shipment of uh, product, I, I think a lot of this is going to start uh, – we're going to start seeing a lot more decreases and, um, you know, that's kind of weeks down the line. But we're in this kind of time period, like I alluded to, where uh, people are they're, – they're, they want their cards for the first Star City Games, uh, Pro Tour is coming up, so – uh, a lot of stuff is in flux, and like, like we said before, me and Seth, that there is going to be that time period where a lot of these cards are going to see increases, uh, some drastically, like Gideon. Uh, yeah, like Gideon. Uh, but yeah, go ahead, Seth. What What are your thoughts on this? I think I mean the interesting part to me is these are all the like the level one cards. If you look through the whole spoiler of Battle for Zendikar and said, I think I can build a deck around this card on week one, not knowing the format. Cards like Gideon, Drana, all the lands, Shambling Vents, Prairie Stream, Smoldering Marsh, um, Radiant Flames, and Ruinous Path, those are, land, those are cards that are automatically going into decks week one. It doesn't really matter what anyone else is playing. Uh, your Ruinous Paths are going to just replace your hero's downfalls in Abzan, for the most part. Radiant Flames, natural replacement for Anger of the Gods. Uh, Gideon can fit in anything that's white, the lands, obviously, low opportunity costs. So 
like you said, this feels to me like people are buying these cards because they want to be playing them this weekend, and that's jacking up the price. And this is the same time period with past spoiler seasons where we were paying $50 for Narset, and we were paying $45 mm-hmm. for Sark and Dragon Speaker. So it's not unprecedented by any means. This is what usually happens. And like you said, as the sets opened, the, all these cards are going down, like decreasing in price. So Yeah. I, I think it's uh, – Gideon is kind of a different uh, scenario because it's actually a good Planeswalker. So I see it more of like a um, uh, the Nissa World Waker scenario where – I mean it's not, in a, it's not in a core set, so obviously it's going to be open like that. But Nissa World Waker was like a $45, you know, $50 Planeswalker for – a good chunk of time before it finally started uh, teetering off. I think Gideon might hold a higher price longer. Will it be $50 for a while? Probably not. Uh, I, I don't think it's like the the greatest planeswalker ever, but it is very serviceable and very uh, viable for sure. I don't know that you can say he's good though, right? Like Narset was good. Sarkin and Broken was good. Sarkin Dragon Speaker was good. Like it's not like any of these cards were just like Tybalt, right? They were all good in a vacuum, right? Like it, it really is going to depend on how standard shakes out. It's not like you're sitting there with Jace the Mind yeah. Sculptor, right? Or even Jace Vrind's Prodigy, right? But <laughs> right now, you know, like all of these cards looked good. There was a reason why people were paying fifty, sixty dollars for them. They actually looked legitimate in a vacuum. It just Turns out that rug is a garbage color, and no one, you know, can play uh, teamer in standard. So Sarkin kind of sucked, right? There was never a Jeskai yeah. burn deck for Narset, right? Like stoke the flames, rebound. Yeah, that sounds good, right? But it never happened, right? So maybe white weenie is not a thing, right? So I don't know. Like Gideon looks good, but it's really going to depend on the meta game, right? And chances are and, he probably won't hold his price tag. Yeah, I, thing- I agree. And the thing is, Soren is... Oh, hang on a second. No problem. Um, the thing is, Soren, for cons, is good. Like, he sees plays in, playing modern, he sees playing standard, and he's $8 from a set that the value breaks down very similarly to Battle for Zendikar with the Fetchlands eating up so much of the value, just like the Expeditions. So even if Gideon is good and sees play... I still think he's got to end up six months from now being a $10, $15 card in the best case. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I, I think it's good. Like like Richard said, I don't think it's $50 good, but it, it's definitely a good Planeswalker that could see some fringe modern play. But then, like you said, Seth, we're looking at a Soren Solemn Visitor uh, scenario where, you know, that, that card can't even break 10 bucks uh, because it's just open so much. Uh, there's a lot of them out there. On a side note, I thought seized someone, and there was a Sarkin Unbroken in their hand, and I considered just leaving it there to let them play so I could see what this card actually does. <laughs> I was like, hmm, can I win through a Sarkin? I don't know. Better just I, take it. Yeah, I will say in in the testing that I've been doing, I've seen a lot more Sarkin Unbroken than I probably ever thought I would see. Really? And BFC yeah, I've done, yeah, I've done some BFC oh, okay. stand, uh, standard on the the beta client. So 
when you cast him, I, I guess he does good stuff, but you have to like cast him and you have to be in rug colors. So I, I don't know. I, I w- Yeah, I, I've seen him more than I thought I would. But he is powerful when you play him. There is that going for him. But yeah. um, anything else? Uh, I really like Drana, honestly, and I've seen that card in testing too, and it, it's kind of scary, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, it's powerful, and it's a mythic vampire, which uh, casuals tend to like their vampires. So I think it's a good card. It'll see playing standard still, 15 bucks. I mean, I just don't see any potential of any of the cards on this list as far as, like, speculation or finance purposes. Like, I just, uh, like we talked about before, maybe two or three cards out of the set will increase from this point forward, other than random, like, Pro Tour spikes. But three months from now, 95% of the cards will be worth significantly less than they are yeah. now. I mean, if you can get a deal on any of these, like, uh, I was asked, like, uh, you know, if Drana was good, was good, like, under $10. Like, obviously, like, I don't – a lot of these under $10, like, if you can even find them, are, are great. I don't know about even bring to light. Uh, it would have to see, like, immediate modern play to keep a $7 price tag. I mean, as good as it is, Seth, even could be in standard. I don't know at this point. Uh, it, there's definitely buzz about the card. Um, but, again, $7 for a, a rare in this set, I mean, it's going to have to do some serious uh, weightlifting. So, yeah, I agree with you. As much as yeah. I like Bring Delight, I wouldn't pay 8 bucks for it. Yeah, right. Exactly. And Drana, like... At ten bucks, like eight to ten bucks, I wouldn't pay fifteen, but maybe like eight to ten probably feels a little better. I don't see that you can lose that much. I don't see this as like a two dollar mythic, just because it is viable. It's one of the more viable mythics in the set. Uh, now that like I've sat down and re- like evaluated this with the cards in my hand, playing the actual cards, because it's one thing to sit and look at all these cards and theory craft is another thing to actually play with them and see like oh this is this is a lot better than i thought and drana definitely fits that bill so yeah and just one quick uh side note on the way out we talk about all this financial stuff and say don't buy these cards because they're going to decrease etc at the same time i like to put this reminder in some articles sometimes Remember, Magic is a game. If you really want to play your Dranas on right. week one, buy them for 15 bucks. If you lose 5 bucks a copy, who cares? Like, you had fun, 20 bucks for a playset that you lose. That's still relatively cheap entertainment. So I'm not trying to discourage people from buying these cards. We're talking purely about, like, financial speculation here. If yeah. you want to play with them, go ahead and buy them and have a blast playing with the new cards. Yeah, if you can get them cheaper than 15, you know, have at it. Like, even 10, like, you're, you're not – part of finance, too, like, it, you know, it's it's nice to talk about the financial aspect of the game and all that. But, you know, at the same time, like Seth said, we're still players, right? We still want to play with the cards. Um, so, you know, you have to find that, like, if you want them, you know, try and find a good, you know, price to buy them where – uh, you're not going to lose that much. Like if you buy Drana at ten and it ends up going down to you know six seven bucks, I mean what what's four dollars on the card? I mean it's not the end of the world. You know it's not that big of a, a decrease on on the mythic rare that you want to play week one or you know for however long you want to play it throughout Battle for Zendikar Standard. You know, so uh, that's a great point, Seth, and I and I try to work that in uh, to 
whenever we talk about this stuff on cast, you know, it is a game at the end of the day. Yeah, I mean, it's just good to have that reminder out there. And I think for me, like, I'm huge on value in the finance aspect, but I make some bad, like, player-driven, I just really want a card, I know it's going to decrease, I buy it anyway because I want to play it, and I use my good financial decisions from being, like, financially minded about the game to pay those costs when I want to lose some money to have this card on week one or splurge on a deck on moto if you make enough good financial decisions it can equal out for your hobby and to be able to have fun playing the game yeah I mean that's a good chunk of what it's about right so there you go um any kind of final quick thoughts about this all right I think think we got it yeah, I think we got it, too. Um, so we did have fish mail. Got an email from Mo Blue Moth. And something about a collection. Uh, life has changed, so he's moved in. He wants to buy a house, stuff like that. Good on you. And then he, I don't know how to segue into a collection. So I heard you guys talking about buying collections on one of your shows, and I was wondering if you had experience selling, especially selling collections. For the most part, advice I've got is either too time-consuming using eBay or really lowball, essentially buy list prices. Uh, Any advice is appreciated. So Mo wants to get rid of his collection, but he doesn't want to part it out on eBay, and he doesn't want to buy list it because the prices are too low. What, What can we do? Yeah. Um, uh, Seth, you can feel this. I don't have as much. Uh, I know we did talk about my kind of little bio <laughs> collection buying uh, experience. So I, I can I have limited uh, uh, advice. But Seth, this is really your forte. All right. Well, I think I got some bad news for Mo. As a, a regular player, And even a lot of financers like me and other people you see on Twitter and social media, we don't have access to get full retail price for our collection of cards. Our options are basically what you described. We can sell them on eBay or TCG Player, which is how you maximize your profits, but it is time-consuming. You've got to ship tons of packages. It's, It's not all that fun to do, especially if you're not experienced in selling a ton of cards through those platforms. Then the other option is you can always sell your cards for buy list, either to a buy list or to a, another player who or financer that will pay you buy list prices. So the way I would go about this in your position would be to try to use something like Craigslist or some other local outlet, maybe ask around your local gaming store, and see if you can find a player who wants the collection that will pay you a percentage above buy list. Like figure out what you would get from a buy list and see if you can get 10% on top of that. So instead of taking a 30% or 40% hit off retail, you're taking a a 20 or 30%. Like you're you're making an extra 10% profit off of your collection. So that is your best bet. Otherwise, I I think your option is really to sell the high-end cards to a buy list or to a player for about buy list prices and then look to dump your bulk either at like a GP or some big event or through Craigslist or another local outlet to someone who will pay you 5 or $6 a thousand for the bulk cards. Yeah. Uh, for My advice to you also to, to piggyback on what Seth said, I would really avoid eBay, uh, especially for 
a collection because you're not going to get full retail value off the bat. Like you're not, you're just not going to get it right because no one's going to pay full retail on a collection then. So you're not even getting full retail and then you're going to have to pay fees on top of that. So we want to avoid sites with fees uh, just from a, you know, logical standpoint because you, you don't want to really get nailed on top of not getting the full retail value. So that's just a first thing. Uh, second thing, I would do what Seth said uh, about poking around like uh, local gaming stores because more often than not, I mean, unless you get a really low ball offer, they're going to offer you a pretty good price. Like I- I've done it before uh, where, you know, I just walked in with a, a-, a box of uh, uh, modern, you know, commas and uncommons, and I got a pretty good, you know, cash price where, you know, maybe you get, you know, 50 to 80 bucks, maybe even 100 bucks. Uh, extra from a buy list but you have to kind of factor in what your time is worth at that point like packing all these different uh, buy lists you know going to the post office you know again sorting all this stuff and sending them out to different vendors and paying shipping and all that so you know if you have to kind of weigh your time on this too Uh, so I, I think you're really down to what Seth said and again like a lot of us financiers like 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 me and Seth, like people on uh, social media, don't have the luxury of getting full retail price for this stuff. So don't be surprised that you're you're gonna get uh, low ball offers out there. Obviously, you can decline them, but uh, at this point, yeah, uh, what Seth said is uh, basically what I would roll with. And one more quick thing, I just uh, took a quick look at your collection. There was actually a link that you provided, which was awesome. The good news is some very liquid cards. You got play sets of Modern Staples, Scalding Tarn, Snapcaster Mage, Mendelian Clicks, Cryptics. Those are cards where you should be able to move really easily uh, to local players, hopefully to avoid the fees and shipping, and get close to retail prices. Like, in in worst case, buy lists really want these cards because they're liquid for them too, and you're not going to take that big of a hit off of retail prices to sell to a buy list. So the good news is you have a good collection and you're in a good position to be able to move a lot of these valuable cards and not lose too much off of retail prices. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that uh, answers it the best we can. Yeah. So just again, that that's great that you, that you provided that for us. I don't have, uh, I don't have concerns that you'll move that liquid stuff. Like said, Seth or like Seth said, and yeah, uh, just go with, uh, go with that. I mean, that's, there's not really that many options when, when you're selling a collection, right? Yeah, there's just, there's not too many options unless you're an SCG or you own a game store. Like you just, you don't have the outlets to get the same prices as those big vendors. Right. So thank you for the question. That was a really good one. Um, I think we covered everything, right? Oh, I got to mention one more thing. I All I right, gotta, go ahead. I I give Magic Online a lot of crap and I am very critical of Magic Online, but they released a new announcement this week and I love it. Almost every single thing in this announcement is great for Magic Online players. So, who, leagues are going well. They're adding modern and pauper leagues. They're bringing back daily events and eight mans for legacy and uh eight mans for vintage. They are letting Cube run right up to the very minute that pre-release events start before they would bring them down on Wednesday and pre-release wouldn't start till Friday. So we had this weird dead period where 
Standard had already rotated and you just really couldn't play anything online. And they're going to allow us to use those horrible play points to enter pre-release events. And you don't have to buy an object from the store anymore, which was one of the big hassles with pre-release. You had to actually spend real money at the store to buy like a $5 entry object to do pre-release events. That's gone. You can enter with just play points or with regular tickets. So all around, this is just great news. I'm very happy. So I didn't want to let the cast go by without giving some credit to the Moto team because I'm usually so hard on them, but this is awesome. So great announcement from Moto this week. Yeah. Richard, what do you think of that? I agree. Legacy has been resurrected, and uh, the feature I've been waiting most for is Modern Leagues. So Modern Leagues underway. So the the kind of the last thing, well, I guess two more things to perfect the Moto experience would be uh, Limited Leagues, and uh, one can hope Legacy Leagues. So I, I think Moto's in a really good spot. Um, I've been playing Moto more than ever like in the past two months i've played more than probably in the past like two years <laughs> right since like v4 <laughs> was released uh so i i think they're they're headed in the right direction so uh, i'm excited uh and you know modern leagues will, will be a game changer i think i think a lot of people will start playing modern because of the modern leagues so we'll, we'll see how yeah. it goes richards t- taking the step into modern all right <laughs> yeah I, I i i'm buying into abs and you want to sell your goys <laughs> <laughs> I'm done with Merfolk. I, I need to play Thoughtseize. <laughs> no more vials. No more vials. No more. No. All right. Uh, this this has been a great episode. Um, uh, enjoy the, the release of uh, Battle for Zendikar this week. I'm sure we'll have a lot to talk about next week with uh, the first week of Battle for Zendikar standard in the books. So uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Um, yeah, uh, we covered everything. Um, one, one final note. Uh, so, uh, I know we talked about the, you know, the, the, the expeditions lowering, eventually lowering the prices of, uh, standard stuff going forward. Uh, what do you think about expeditions right now? I know like as people are opening them, people are kind of trying to get rid of them as the, the, the supply enters the market. I know there's been some some talk about uh, an increased uh, variance in the seeding of the pre-release packs. Uh, wh- what would you do with an expedition right now? I- I'm getting this question a lot. My-, uh, I, my my thing is, if it's one of the chase uh, expeditions like the uh, blue fetches, I- I'd be actually inclined to hold on to them. So I- I'd like to hear your thoughts. Yeah, I mean, I think in the long term, the chase ones are definitely worth holding. Like, they have a chance to be really expensive a few years down the line if they're not reprinted. Otherwise, I'm taking this wait-and-see attitude. There were some rumors coming out of pre-releases that maybe you get closer to two expeditions a case instead of one. But this is based on, like, kind of sketchy, anonymous, like, reports on Reddit where people are posting how many they think they would they were open at their pre-release. So I'm waiting until this weekend when everyone is going to be opening cases, and I think I will be able to get some really good reports from people that are opening 10 cases of Battle for Zendikar and be able to see really how many mythics are coming out, or <laughs> expeditions are coming out of these cases. So I would actually be tempted to just hold everything right now. If you want to sell the the cheaper ones, that's fine. 
But I would be tempted to wait until this weekend when we get some solid numbers on how often these are showing up out of boxes. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Richard? Yeah, I just want to add, so GP uh, Seattle is at the beginning of November, so a month out from now, and it's Legacy, right? So I think now is where you'll find the most demand. Uh, so, you know, the Legacy players likely to pimp out their decks will likely want them pimped out for the Legacy GP, you know, the, the one of two events of the year. Uh, so now is a good time to move them, I think, uh, you know, in the next couple of weeks. Uh, later on, they might be harder to move, right? Like, I don't know, you know, if six months from now, you'll find people clamoring over $500 Scalding Tarns. Even if they are $500, I don't know how many people want to buy them, and they may become kind of like a collectible item. Whereas now, I think demand is really high as the pimpers are trying to get all their products right now. And, uh, you know, maybe everyone will have their sets that they need by, you know, six months from now. So I would be inclined to sell them sometime soon. Like Seth said, maybe wait for the weekend to see what the numbers are and make your decision. But uh, if I opened one this past weekend, I would have sold it immediately. That's just my yeah. personal personal take on it. Yep, makes sense. All right, uh, that about does it for this episode of the MTG Goldfish Podcast. Uh, this is the crew signing out. We will see you next time.